This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 33. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood. I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Chris Graham. Hey, Chris. Hello, Brian. How's life going and stuff? Life is great. I got a standing desk and uh, I've lost a bunch of weight as a result. So I'm feeling really good. I don't know the science behind that. I don't know if I believe it, but I want to believe it. Well, I think it's like you're just standing. I'm exhausted. If I have like a morning where I'm specifically working on systems or specifically like answering a lot of emails or something like that, like to stand for two hours is really (laughs) exhausting. So this is not for studio work. This is not for mastering standing no. desk. That's interesting if that was the case, but I don't think I've ever seen a studio with a standing desk before. I'm very seriously considering switching to a, a standing setup for mastering because the desk I have here is actually, it's a really intense industrial workbench. So I could extend the legs. They're metal slidable dealy. So yeah, if someone has a standing studio desk, let me know. I'd love to see a photo of yeah, it. That'd be pretty to cool. To me, that'd be annoying. Like, I can only stand for like two hours before I'm over it. And in the studio, you're working sometimes eight hours or longer straight without a break. That, that would be miserable to me. All right. So I think we've hit our specific threshold of banter that we did. Unless you want to banter some more. You're watching Westworld right now? Okay, never mind. I, uh, I am. Oh my Stop. No, gosh, no, no. We're not so getting good. into it. We're not getting into it. Stop, stop, stop. Uh, <laughs> I am too. And it's fucking awesome. So today's episode is, it's not about Westworld. Today's episode is not about standing desks. What is today's episode about, Chris? Well, we've talked about niches a lot on the podcast. And I know for many of you guys that are listening, you're doing audio for a living or you're trying to, and you're one size fits all. You offer every service under the sun that's audio related, and you're struggling to make consistent income each month. So what we've really advised, and this isn't like just specific recording studio industry advice. This is advice that applies across the board. Any industry you're in, if you have a niche, if you are known as the king of fill in the blank or queen of fill in the blank, business is going to go well if there's demand for that niche that you own. So these are five recording studio niches that are ripe for the taking that if you're in a town that's remotely large, you know, you're in a St. Louis, you're in a Columbus, Ohio, you're in a Detroit, Michigan, you are in a Madison, Wisconsin, you know, you're something with at least a couple hundred thousand people in it. Yeah. A town with a couple hundred thousand people that you can make a recording studio around these ideas, pick one of them and dominate. And just to clarify, not all of these require a physically busy city. Some of these could be done on the internet. Yeah. So these are five ideas that we came up with. Um, We love when we see someone that specializes and says, man, I'm the guy for fill in the blank or I'm the girl for this particular business. Emily that we had on the podcast before that she was like, man, I do remote drums. That's freaking rad. And she's doing really well because she has a story to tell. Remote drums, you know what she does. That's it. If people say, well, what do you do for a living? And you're like, well, I do a little bit of editing for audio. I record books on tape. I also produce rap records and I also mix bluegrass records. That's just such a terrible story. You can't market yourself when you don't have a good story. These are all niches that you can, in one second at a party, you can say, well, we specialize in fill in the blank. Easy to understand. Yeah. Easy to understand. These are the things that when you say, this is what I do, they're like, oh, okay, cool. And if they think of anyone that needs that type of thing, 
they'll refer them to you. And that's the, that's the power of owning one niche and doing one thing and doing it incredibly well, because it's easily understood what you do. It's easily understood who is qualified to work with you or who is in need of your services and who is unqualified, who is not in need of your services. And it's easy for the average person to put those two things together and understand if they should refer someone to you or not. Yeah. This is going to be a good episode for those of you that are trying to do audio full-time. For those of you that are trying to quit your jobs, there's going to be some great ideas for those of you that, you know, have a home studio, you're trying to move out of your parents' basement, you know, whatever. This is something where you can start a business, you can own a niche, you can be the go-to person in your area, and you can make a solid living. So these are great ideas. I'm super jacked about today's episode. All right. So let's move into number one. Number one is what we're calling a vocal studio or a vocal only studio. What exactly is this, Chris? Now, hold on, everybody. I think your initial reaction is like, oh, that doesn't sound interesting. (laughs) Let me explain. Most people, when they start a recording studio, they say to themselves, and Matt, we had on the podcast earlier. You're talking about Matt Boudreaux on episode number 27? Exactly. So yeah, Matt Boudreaux had this issue where he was like, man, I want to have an awesome studio. So he found an amazing space and he had a humongous amount of rent. And inevitably, the weight of that rent and the weight of his debt drove him to have to make some really tough choices in his life. Another way of saying rent, we're just talking about overall overhead, his monthly expenses. That's all expenses combined. That's debt payments, that's rent, that's uh, any employees or any contractors he was working with. You know, those things add up to be a significant amount when you're doing it the way Matt used to be doing it. And the vocal studio is the exact opposite of doing it that way. Yeah, so the big thing to keep in mind here is that on the one hand, you can have a recording studio with huge overhead, huge monthly costs that you have to pay, but not a whole lot of profit. The opposite of that is a studio with very low overhead and a ton of profit. Another way of kind of looking at it is what is your potential income per square foot of space? When you look at a large facility, let's just say a Blackbird Studios facility, there's a cap on what they can really charge, what the market will ever pay for a facility, even at that caliber. And you know, so that's their upper limit of income, but they have a lot of square footage. If you were to divide their upper income limit by their square feet, you're going to get a certain number. Now you take a small 150 square foot one room studio and you look at your overall square feet, 150 square feet and your overall potential income. And you divide those two numbers together. You're going to get a much better square foot to income ratio uh, when it comes to this kind of space. Another way of looking at it is what is your overhead and what is your potential income? Keeping your overhead as low as possible and your potential income as high as possible. That's the entire benefit of this vocal only studio. Yeah. So let's talk about the vocal studio. The vocal studio, first, what is it? A vocal studio is a very small studio, which I would say probably doesn't have a control room. Yeah, most likely not. But there are some that do and it's it's perfectly fine. Yeah, but it's not required. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. And the reason you'd want this, the why behind why a vocal studio is a niche that's right for the taking is that if you say, if your position is, we do amazing vocals, period, that's all we do. Who do you know that wants amazing sounding vocals? I do. I'll tell you right now, that was one area I struggle with the most in doing a heavy recording studio is I'm a master at heavy music, but I would say 50% of the bands I had in the studio came in and did clean vocals, at least on the choruses. And that was something I never got down as a producer. I never had a what I consider a great 
vocal tone. Yeah, vocals are really, really hard. And, you know, right now the home studio kind of industry, the DIY thing is exploding. The hardest part of that for these home studio owners and for bands and for everybody else is great sounding vocals because every single person who can hear has been listening to the human voice since before they were born, really. And as a result, every single person on earth, my kids included, can tell you if a vocal sounds right or not. It has to be just so when it comes to a synth or an electric guitar or even drum tone. There's a lot of latitude of what you can make it sound like and still have it sound cool. Vocals have got to sound just so. So if you have a studio that just does just that, your rent is super low. I would assume you're probably going to have a decent mic locker or at least one really, really, really good mic which might be, you know, a dynamic mic, an, an RE20 or an SM7. Nope, nope, get out of here, gear slut. That's the gear slut alert. If you're wondering what that noise is, that's the gear slut alert. <laughs> Anyways, so you've got a really great vocal chain. If you specialize in getting those really great vocal sounds, the number of people that might hire you is absolutely enormous. You're going to have a lot of hobbyist musicians that are going to come in and say, I just want great vocals. Absolutely, I'd be more than willing to pay. And don't be shocked when I say this, that would be willing to pay $30, $40, $50, $60 per hour to come and record amazing vocals with you. Now, here's the big thing. If your expenses are really, really low, especially someone starting out, if I could have gotten right out of college and could have had a small vocal studio like this in a big town and could have made $30 an hour and say had $5 an hour of fixed cost, that would have been dreamy. I would have been killing it 15 years ago. One other reason that this is such an interesting idea to me, at least, is it allows you to focus only on the skill set related to vocals because there's so much to learn. If you're trying to become a master at drum tones, a master at bass tone, a master at guitar tone, a master of vocals, a master of pitch correction, at vocal editing, at comping, you're not going to be great at any of those. You're probably not going to be good at all of those. You're probably going to be terrible at one or two of those. And so instead of trying to become decent at all of these different things and striving to be great and not quite getting there, you can just focus on being great at all things vocals, at vocal tracking, at working with emotional vocalists, at working with comping, at doing pitch correction in a way that is transparent and appealing to the naked ear. You know, these types of things are all skills you have to learn, skills that are hard to master, but it's a lot easier to achieve mastery when you have a lot smaller group of skills you're trying to master. Yeah. And in the future, you know, let's say it's five years from now and you're doing pretty well and you're starting to produce full records or whatever, you know, a lot of people that are begging you to produce their full records because they will. If you're the guy or the girl that can do unbelievable vocals and your vocal tone when you work with an artist is better than anybody else in town people will bust your door down because the vocal is the most important part of the record. There's an 80-20 principle going on there where 80% of the record, for most records that is, is the vocal tone. And if you do that, it puts you in a, in a position to be in the driver's seat on future projects when you begin to fan out because if your vocal tone sounds great, people will beg to work with you. One other big benefit of going this route is We've talked about this, I think it was one of the last podcast episodes we did, where when you're doing a lot of small projects, you have a lot more word of mouth potential because every single client is a walking, talking advertisement for your studio. And if you're doing these huge projects that are multiple weeks long, you're only working with a small group of clients per year. Whereas if you have a studio like this, not only is it easily understood what you do, 
you also have a lot more potential clients you can work with in a year's time. It opens up the door for more referrals for your studio. The other interesting thing with a vocal studio is your location. If you're trying to build a big studio, what you're going to have to do is be in a crappy part of town. A lot of times, yeah. You're going to have to find somewhere in BFE. You're going to have to find some old warehouse and convert it. If you're just a vocal studio, you might be able to be on the uptown strip in your area. You might be able to be in the mall. You might be able to be somewhere. <laughs> That'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah. You might be able to be somewhere that's really high visibility. You might be able to be somewhere with a glass front where people walking by can see the people recording their vocals. Well, this actually goes really well for one of the other niches we're going to talk about. So bookmark that little idea. But the big thing is you could do this out of your damn spare bedroom. Honestly, people care less and less about the facility. They care more and more about the quality, especially the type of person that would hire you consistently. Think about, you know, some of the bigger name producers or some of the the moderate level producers. Like in Nashville, we have so many guys that are full-time at this, but you've never heard of them. Those guys are making 40, 50, 60,000 a year. They're flying under the radar. And a lot of times they would work with people like you if you're doing this and they don't care what your setup is. They just care about the quality that you can provide for the service that you offer. You also open up the ability to go for guys that are doing demo work and they just don't have any idea how to get good vocal takes. So you just have a wide variety of people you can work with in this scenario. Yeah, so it's super interesting. So let's talk about marketing. How do you market a vocal studio? So Brian, let me ask you a question. Yep. Who do you feel is more compelling? Bob, whose pitch to you is, hey, Brian, I do all things audio, man. Like Pro Tools, Logic, Cubase, Reaper, you name it. I can do it, man. I work in jazz. I work in heavy. I work in rap. I work in EDM. That's his pitch. He does everything. He's like, you know, literally, if you can name it and it makes noise, that's the service he provides. Or Joe on the right-hand side. Joe says, I do awesome sounding vocals. I've got a studio in the mall and we have the best vocal chain. We've turned up the best vocal tone in town. If you want your vocals to sound freaking awesome, check out thebarnvocalstudio.com. Don't name your studio the Barn Vocal Studio. Yeah. Just pro tip. That's, that's marketing number one. Well, the value proposition is obviously better for the studio, even though you kind of stacked one side versus the other there, Chris. I did. Uh, it's, it's, it's better for the studio that's, like I said, we've talked about, it's easier understood and you understand the value you're getting and you're, you can be more confident that you're getting what you pay for because you are offering one specific thing. And they will quickly know if you can do that one specific thing based on your portfolio. Yeah. So that would be my big encouragement to you guys is to consider when we're talking about marketing, consider the story. What's the story you're telling about your business? If your story is I'm good at everything that makes noise with microphones and preamps and crap, that's a terrible story. If your story is I own a small studio, we do unbelievable vocals. That's so easy. Everybody can understand that. And every time you're at a party and someone says, oh, what do you do for a living? And you say, I own a vocal studio. I do vocal recording. We're the best in town. I guarantee you every conversation you have with that, you're probably, well, I said guarantee you. So I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to back it up. <laughs> every time you're at a party and someone says, what do you do for a living? And you explain that, you tell that story that's a sentence long, you're going to get a client. They know somebody who wants great sounding vocals. Everybody does. You've never met someone who doesn't know someone who wants their vocals to sound cool on a record. And one more thing related to marketing is if you do move down the paid advertising route, uh, it's a lot easier to advertise your one specific service like this than it is to advertise a whole bunch of services. Yeah. So that's number one. That, that's just one of the things on our list today. The second one 
is this is Chris's thing, and we're going to argue about this a little bit, but he wanted to do this on the list. This is hourly rap. What is this, Chris? Well, this is a riff on the vocal studio, except instead of saying we do great vocals, you say we do rap vocals. We don't do beat production. We don't do mixing. We don't do mastering. We do the best, most crispy, biggest sounding rap flow you've ever heard. And if you do that, there are many benefits and there are many drawbacks, particularly in rap, because rap is an interesting genre in that there's a lot of amateur hour stuff going on. You've got great rappers, but then you have oodles and oodles of terrible rappers who want to record. That's an interesting genre, but let me pitch you why this is a good idea. Why, Chris? Why? <laughs> yeah, like this would not be the niche I would choose. You know, if I could go back in time 15 years ago, definitely wouldn't. But if you're in a situation where you're really clear with people and you say, if you want to book two hours at my rap studio and do rap vocals, go to the website and you'll need to make your payment up front to book the time. What if they don't have a card? Then you say, go to CVS or go to Walgreens or whatever it happens to be, go to the Wazoo and buy a prepaid credit card. You have to make a payment in full on the website to book me. When you book me, let's say it's from 4 to 6 p.m. on Wednesday, your session starts exactly at 4 p.m. and it ends exactly at 6 p.m. If you're late, doesn't matter. Your session will still end at 6. So you have to be crazy clear with people and you would have to get paid up front. And if you're booking hourly, if you are in, and I mentioned St. Louis before, if you're doing this in St. Louis, you will book that studio 24 hours a day. It'll be bonkers. So how do you market a rap studio? How do you do that? Yeah, that's a good question. Honestly, I think it's the exact same as the vocal studio. It is. There's a lot of word of mouth advertisement with that sort of stuff. Yeah. Just by specifically saying we don't do production, we don't do mixing, we don't do mastering, we don't make beats. We do vocals for rap. If you want to come in here and rap on a microphone, we are the best studio in town. Bring your own beats, baby. But let's talk about how this is different than a vocal-only studio because you could argue that, hey, a vocal-only studio and a rap vocal-only studio, what's the difference? Why are you separating these two things? Yeah, here's the thing. To say, well, we do anything with a vocal, that's a tough story. We do rap, we do singing. My advice to you guys is if you want to really niche down, say we do singing in the vocal studio. It's only singing or we do only rap. We don't do any singing unless it's in the context of a rap song. Or we do only screaming if you're doing heavy music, which I don't think that would be a huge business for you, but that's a way you could go. Well, in the right market, that might be huge to be like, we do screaming music. We make your screams sound better than anybody. But I get what you're saying. The way you would build, and I'm just going to use a website, for example, this isn't the only way you would ever get a client, but this is just the easiest way to conceptualize positioning and messaging. The way you would write messaging for a rap vocal studio would be a lot different than a pop vocal studio or a metal vocal studio because there's just different needs involved with those types of vocals. There's different wants involved with those types of vocals. And so to be able to speak to your ideal customer as clearly as possible, I guess that is a good way to do it is to separate wildly different genres from each other if you're going to go this route. Yeah. So you would want to completely buy into the story of rap vocals here. So no one's bought this URL, but like crispyvocals.com. Crispy is like the, <laughs> the most common descriptor in the rap genre, at least that I'm familiar with. I'm not a rap expert by any means, but crispy is what you're going for with vocals. So to say like crispy vocal studio or something like that, you know, something where you completely dig in that the marketing, that the branding, that the website, every aspect of the way that you present yourself lends itself to 
we do rap vocals. Again, this is back to our first idea of it's a simple story. It's easy to tell people, hey, we do rap vocals. That's it. Yep. All right, let's move on to number three here. Number three is doing a full service podcast studio. This is still in line with the vocal only studio. I guess it technically is a vocal only studio, but the requirements are a little bit different. The marketing is a lot different and there are actually, and I've seen these full production podcast studio facilities. I've seen this in certain cities. They seem to do pretty well, especially considering, and this is the thing that I like about this model the most, this niche, is it allows you to do a monthly fee because most podcasts are recurring things. If you have people coming into your studio to do a weekly podcast episode, think about this. Like in our world, audio podcasts, that's what we do all day, every day. We do audio. We don't need a studio for this. We don't need someone else's studio for this. But if you look at the average podcast, go listen to any of the top, what I call murder porn podcasts, my favorite murder or whatever people listen to these days. The top podcasts are generally done. They're not done by the people themselves. They either have people they work with or they'll even work with a studio and they'll just go in regularly. So if you're pitching your services or your studio as a podcast studio, and you have, let's just say five or 10 podcasts that are coming in four times a month and they're paying you X dollars per month. We'll just say 400 a month. Well, that's four grand a month if you have 10 podcasts doing that. Yeah. And think about how easy that work is compared to, you know, something like a band or an artist because it's just sit down, hit record. Uh, maybe you're doing the editing for them, putting it up on Libsyn.com or one of these podcast hosts. You're learning these basic things that are super easy to do. And you're focusing on doing nothing else but uh, servicing podcasts. Now, this may not be fulfilling to you, obviously, but it is a good business model. And if you are into podcasts or you do think you would like this, this is a good way to build a stable, steady flow of income. Yeah. Well, the big component here is it's teachable. Yes. You know, so for example, Brian, what you do with heavy mixing, hard to teach. Oh, so hard to teach. You know, for you to- Good God. Yeah. Super hard. For what I do with mastering, very hard to teach. If we dropped what we were doing and started a podcast studio in the right part of the country and we booked up reoccurring revenue by people that came in and hung out, you know, it could even be a combination bar slash podcasting studio. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, we've got really nice beers and we've even got some not so loud, crunchy snacks. (laughs) It's kind of taking the co-working model. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like beer on tap, kombucha, snacks, and podcast studio. Exactly. So if you've got something like that, here's the other component is if you've got two guys or three guys or four guys, they're splitting the cost to record with you and they're coming back every week to record with you. After you get into this a little bit, it's like, hey, each podcast that you're doing costs each podcaster like 20 bucks a week or something like that, or maybe even less than that, depending on on the podcast itself. So Yes, it might not be fulfilling and you might not think to yourself, man, that does not sound like rock and roll. Yes, but it allows you to leverage your audio skills to build a real business that could have real employees that would allow you to do whatever else you want with your time, like make rock and roll. Yep. So that's one thing I would stand behind hundred percent is if I don't make enough money doing the passion that I have, then I would rather work something related to that passion, something in audio to make a living while I build my business and my passion versus having to go work a corporate job. Yeah. I'd much rather have a podcast studio than have a corporate job. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Well, it also leverages skills. If you're listening to this podcast still, you have some audio skills probably, and it leverages those skills as opposed to going to do something that's completely unrelated. And you will get better at audio as a result of owning a podcasting studio. Before we get into the podcast today, let me tell you a little something crazy about myself. I'm actually a psychic and I'm going to prove it to you. 
you and I, we've probably never met, but I bet I can describe your business better than you can. Here's what my crystal ball says. You probably have no idea how to get clients other than waiting around for referrals and word of mouth. You're stuck in a perpetual cycle of feast or famine. So you have wild income swings from month to month. You're charging way less than you should and you know it, but you don't do anything about it. You feel like you have a million things you could be doing in your business and you have no idea what you should be focusing on. And you have tons of little half-built bridges leading to nowhere because you've jumped from thing to thing to thing as a dabbler. Am I right? Does this sound eerily similar to you? That's because I've been in your shoes and I've worked with thousands of freelancers who've also been there. So I'm not a psychic. My crystal ball is not real. I just have a really clear understanding of what freelancers are facing today. And if I can predict your problems, you can bet I actually have a solution to these problems. It's called client acquisition. We talk about this all the time on the podcast, but for some reason, freelancers still haven't really figured this out yet. This is why I created Clients by Design Coaching. It's a truly unique coaching program that helps you build your own client acquisition machine so you can break out of this feast or famine cycle that most freelancers never escape. So here's how our approach is unique. First, we do a deep dive on your business, we figure out what's missing, and we give you a complete marketing roadmap right from the start. So no more dabbling, no more guesswork, just a clear path to getting more clients. You always know what your next step is because we actually assign specific tasks to you. So instead of feeling overwhelmed, instead of feeling scattered, you can just focus on your next step. That's it. We give you unlimited feedback on everything you do so you can feel confident that every single step you're taking is the right one. And we hold you accountable, not by nagging you, but just by genuinely supporting and cheering you on every step of the way. If you're behind on any steps we've assigned to you, we'll proactively reach out and see how we can help. Clients by Design is not a course. We look at it like a partnership. We'll always show up. We'll always give you what you need, but you have to be willing to put in the work. This program is not for everyone, and that is okay. As of right now, I just checked the numbers. We've only approved about 25% of the applicants we've gotten so far, and that's because we are selective. We only accept your application if we believe we can truly help you. So if you're ready to end your feast or famine cycle and build a client acquisition machine, you can apply for Clients by Design by going to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. That's the number six, figurecreative.com slash coach. Now here's our show. Yeah. And also when we start talking about that potential income to square foot ratio, a podcast studio, you could do it in a 200 square foot space. You get a table, a square table, you get an interface with four preamps on it. You have four mics with four boom arms and have the capacity of up to four people in a room together. That's all you really need. And it doesn't take much gear other than that to be able to produce a podcast and have a well-treated room for people to come sit in yeah. and you hit record and let them ramble on for an hour and a half about whatever their topic is, whatever murder they're covering or whatever sporting event they're talking about or whatever gaming convention. Because there's people in all sorts of niches doing this. If you're in the right city, the right place, the right time, you have the right marketing message, you could do really well with this. Yeah. The other component that all three of these ideas have is because they're a small space, getting the vibe of the room right is really easy. Getting the vibe right on a 1500 square foot studio is really hard and really expensive. So the other component with full service podcasting is you can also do a line extension. Line extension is another thing that you do for money, another service by installing a bunch of cameras. And I'm sure you guys have seen like the Joe Rogan experience or the breakfast club or Howard Stern, where it's essentially a podcast and they have cameras and they just cut back and forth between the person that's speaking. If you've got cameras installed and you say, hey, for an extra fill in the blank, we can also publish a live video of this. Like, dude, who doesn't want to pay a monthly fee? I would want that. If me and you were in the same city, Chris, and someone else is handling all that bullshit for me, and they're putting, even putting it up on YouTube for me or whatever, and I don't have to do anything with that, yeah, I'll pay for that. Heck yeah, man. A couple buddies hanging out, talking. Yeah, so Chris and I will take a 10% 
commission for giving you this business idea, just write to us, podcast at the sixfigurehomestudio.com. There you go. So let's talk about the marketing aspect behind a podcast studio. I already know a couple ideas. There's a lot of what I call watering holes yeah. or fishing holes related to podcasts. And when you start talking about the audio side of things, that's one area they struggle with. So if you're an active part of those podcasting communities, people where that they already get together to talk about podcasting and you're answering audio related questions and adding value for you to mention your website in there, no one's going to fault you for that. And that's a good way to get clients is adding value in these fishing holes or these watering holes. And then for people that it makes sense, you just pitch your services to them. It's not that difficult to find these types of people. Let me chime in here. If you're doing paid marketing, paid marketing, if you are marketing your services across the globe is really hard. If you're doing paid marketing in, say, Denver, Colorado, and you only want your ad to show up in Denver, Colorado, it's really easy and really, really cheap. So if there's these watering holes that you mentioned, message boards or like how to record your podcast or tips for podcasters or something like that, say, hey, I'm going to put a banner ad, you know, those little picture ads that you see on a message board or on on a website. And you say, I only want people within one mile of downtown Denver, Colorado to see this. It's really, really affordable. Yeah. If you think about what's the podcast equivalent of gearsluts.com. Yeah. That exists. And I'm sure that those display advertising networks that work within those sites can do a location-based banner ad for people in just a specific location. There's also Facebook ads. There's also Google ads. There's also YouTube ads. There's a ton of different ways, whether you want to hire an agency to handle that for you or you want to figure this all out yourself. I'll tell you every single type of advertising has a high learning curve. But if you own a business and you want to, we've already talked about learning these skills that can transfer to other areas, not just in your own business, but future businesses or your friends or your families. These are skills worth investing in. But let's move on now. This is uh, the fourth on our list, and that is an editing studio. What exactly is an editing studio? What do we mean by this, Chris? Well, an editing studio could specialize in many different types of editing. We would recommend specializing in one. So if you do drum editing, you know, I'm sure someone's already bought this, but drumediting.com, or if you do vocal editing, and it's some, you know, twist on uh, vocalediting.com. You know, we mentioned before with Emily on the podcast, her website's emilydrums.com. That's freaking genius. So if it's, you know, bobeditsdrums.com or something like that, where you say, oh, I own a website, it's called bobeditsdrums.com. No one's going to say, oh, really, Bob? What do you do on bobeditsdrums.com? You don't need to explain anything. And that's the beauty. And that's much, much easier to market than Bob makes audio sound good.com. What are you talking about, Bob? What audio? Yep. So you could specialize in one type of editing and be the go-to guy in one genre with one type of thing. You could specialize in multiple types of editing within one genre. There's different ways to slice this cake here. And all the things we've talked about in this podcast so far related to niching applies to this specific studio, editing studios. But why would you want an editing studio? What is the big benefit of this type of studio? Well, it's hard. It's difficult. Editing is a pain in the butt and a lot of people hate it, but everybody needs it for the most part. That's true. So there's a big opportunity where if you are a phenomenal editing ninja and you're quick and you can go to your happy place and edit really, 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 really fast and really, really, really high quality, if that's you, there's an easy way to market yourself to go to these different watering holes and say, I edit drums. To go on you know, a particular website that specializes in recording and go into the drum section of that website and put a banner ad up but to start participating on a message board and having your signature say, bobeditsdrums.com. If that's it, you don't even need any text. 
Just make sure the B on Bob is capital and the E on edit is capital and the D on drums is capital. So there's a lot of things that you can do to become the guy or the girl in a niche if you have a simple story. And we keep coming back to that theme on this episode, but when you niche down so much like this, it's easy to market yourself because it's not this like, I do everything type of marketing, which is impossible. One other benefit from going this route, I think, is being able to make money with whatever setup you already have. Yeah. This is a type of service that you can offer with nothing more than a pair of headphones and a laptop. Yeah. So if you're in a situation where you're like, oh man, I'm living in an, you know, an apartment with five other people and I'm super poor and I'm you know, kind of unemployed, but I do have a laptop. I do have a piece of audio software and I do have some, <laughs> some iPod headphones. You could. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You could seriously, with almost no overhead, run a solid editing business. Other than your education. Like you have to be great at this though. Yeah. If you try to do, let's just say pitch correction and you send back just absolute shit to people, they, they'll never hire you again. Or drum editing and you have all sorts of little weird glitches and fuck ups and bad edits and misaligned drums and things that got slid one way or the other that should have been slid one way or the other. Or you miss crossfades and there's little pops and clicks everywhere. You'll never get hired again. Yeah. But- Despite whatever city you're in, despite whatever hardware limitations you have, if you have the skills, this is an option for you. If you can get, let's just say the marketing message down and the quality there and be able to build the relationships. Yeah. So something like I edit vocals.com or something like that. Chris, if you haven't tell Chris likes to just have very literal URLs. I love them. Well, it makes the story easy to tell and vocals, as far as an editing business go, vocals and drums are probably the two biggest niches it would be the easiest to dominate. You know, you, you could say, I edit female vocals. Let me just argue with you real quick about Please. one little point when we start talking about branding and URLs. If Google went with searchforshit.com or searchtheweb.com or something like that, I don't think they would have had the same success. If Apple went with bettercomputers.com or, you know, whatever their value proposition was at the time, I don't think they would have done as well. The power lies in having a brand and then that brand is associated with whatever brand image you want. And the URL is easy to find. You couldn't have some complex or hard to spell or hard to understand URL. But I think a lot of branding comes in with a name that is memorable and a value proposition or a message that is memorable. And those don't necessarily have to be in the URL unless you like to use that URL as a shortcut. So let's just say, for example, you come up with a brand name and you love the branding around that name. Let's just say soundbutter.com because we all know what sound better is. Let's just say sound butter and your little logo is a little slice of butter and it's all cute and stuff, but everyone goes to soundbetter.com instead of soundbutter.com, which would be easy to misunderstand. So instead you just have a URL that's your business card basically. And you say, I edit drums.com. That's my URL. And it forwards you to soundbutter.com and it has all your logo and branding. That to me is a better use of a URL and sticking with a certain branding than using that URL as your branding. That's just my two cents on the subject. Everyone, feel free to disagree or agree. That's up to you, but that's that's my input on it. Well, I'm open to it. I, I think that the big thing isn't necessarily just the URL as much as it is how simple the story is. If it's bobjones.com, is that if, that, if, if your name is Bob Jones, and you go to bobjones.com, and at the top of the website, the very top, it says, you know, amazing drum editing, and that's it. So when you go on the website, you should, I think we've talked about this before. When you go on a website, it should pass the caveman test. You should go on it and say, ugh, Bob Jones, make drums sound good. 
you know, it should be really, really, really easy to define what the whole website is about. And for most of us, most of the people listening in most of the websites that we've seen, you know, people in the, the Facebook community, you go on their website and it's like, ugh, Steve make drums and guitar and bass and vocals and rap and editing. Doesn't yeah, work. Like, I call it the blink test. Most people will go about five seconds or so without blinking. If you can't look at a website within five seconds, know exactly what they do, then they fail the blink test. And it's amazing how many websites fail that test. If you want more on this, we're not going to talk about it anymore, but no, episode 19, noob website mistakes that will choke out your business. That's episode 19 of the podcast. We talk about a lot more of this stuff in detail. But let's move on. We're going to talk about now the marketing side of an editing studio. How do you find clients? How do you market yourself? A lot of these are going to be overlapping because general marketing principles apply to basically all businesses. So there's nothing that's super unique about this a business approach. But what are some things you see in this? Well, this is not my favorite type of marketing, but there's a big opportunity for cold calling and cold emailing with editing because you know who your best customers are going to be. You know, it's the studio down the street where it's like, hey man, I edit drums. So if you want a contract with me, your clients can come in, I'll edit the drums and send it back to you. And FYI, 90% of the time, my first revision gets approved, that sort of thing. And again, this comes down to if there's back and forth, if it takes 25 rounds of revisions back and forth for you to get an approval, you will get slaughtered in an editing business. But if that's your God-given talent and you just freaking nail it, you were telepathic and you knew what the drummer was going for, you knew what the vocalist was going for, and you turned that in and they're like, yes, that's unbelievable. Thank you very much. We'll call you for the next project. If that's what you've got, then all you need to do is you need to figure out who your best possible clients could be and contact them, take them out to lunch, take them out to coffee, email them and continue to follow up. Get a CRM, put all your best potential clients in it and just follow up once a month. In a very polite way. In a very polite way. Yeah. Preferably adding value, not just saying, hey, following up to see when you're paying me. It's like, yeah. Hey, I saw that you just had a kid. Congratulations. Or, hey, happy birthday, man. I was thinking of you the other day. Or hey, I saw that you were doing new hardwood floors. Uh, do you need any help with that? That kind of stuff is a just easy way to follow up. All right, so let's move into the fifth and final niche here of our five studio niches ripe for the taking. And that is something we're just going to call high net worth clients. What, what exactly is a high net worth client, Chris? A high net worth client is not a famous musician. A high net worth client is somebody with a good job who's probably older than you whose dream was to make an amazing record. It could be someone high up on the corporate ladder. It could be someone that owns their own business. Someone that made a lot of money in something unrelated to music, but their passion has always been music. And now they want to make a record or they maybe want to work with you or they may never thought about it, but now you brought the conversation up, you've planted that seed and all of a sudden this high net worth individual wants to potentially record with you. Yeah. And that kind of easily leads into why you would want to work with these people. Chris, why, why on earth would you want to work with someone like this? Money. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a money play, but there's, there's more to it than just money because I want to first say this. People don't think about this, but when you start doing this full time as a studio owner, I've yet to meet someone that did not have to take on what I consider bill paying work. And if you're going to take on bill paying work, you might as well work with artists like this because typically, and now this is not always the case, but in a lot of cases, these people pay better. They pay on time or early. They are easier to work with. Their revisions requests are less insane. They're more grateful. They tip. They tend to tip and they lack any sort of entitlement and they're just grateful to work with you on the project. 
And I could say that it is a lot better off than working with a really talented band just to pay the bills when that band is a nightmare in every other way. I would much rather work with what we're calling here a high net worth client. So I'm going to go full nerd on you guys here. So I am a big sci-fi fan. And in one of the Star Trek, the next generation movies, I told you full nerd, here we go. John Luke Picard is back in time and he's explaining to someone from a long time ago what society looks like in the future. And he says, you know, we have all the food we need. We've got the replicators. There's peace on earth. You know, we've got everything that we want. So the only thing left to do for everyone is to follow their passions. Me, I'm into exploration. So I explore the universe. But what he goes on to explain is this idea is that people either explore or they do art or they do science or they do music, or they do dance, you name it. Like They focus on the humanities, they focus on the things that enrich their lives. So what's so cool about this idea is that we're starting to see this actually happen. Because the cost of recording is going down, and because you can be middle class and older and have plenty of money to make a great sounding record with really good professionals, that a lot of people are doing it. And man, that is the world I want to live in where everyone's working on a record, where everyone has a passion project. And these high net worth clients, a lot of them don't have any aspirations of fame. And man, when you're working one-on-one with a person, that's a good thing, I think. That's so much more pleasant to work with somebody who's making art for art's sake, as opposed to somebody who is literally having panic attacks because they think this record is going to make them into the next John Mayer or something like that. Yeah, that's the type of person that's going to have massive entitlement issues because they think that they deserve to be famous and that you are going to be the one that gets them there. And uh, unfortunately, that's not always the case. So let's talk about how you actually start finding high net worth clients to work with in the studio because this is not something that's easily done. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. How do you break into this area? Because it's easier for some than others. It's easier in some areas than others. And it depends on, I would say a lot of it is with your relationships. What does your network look like? Yeah, I would say it's mostly your network. If, if, you know, we, we joked about it before, but if, if you're 25 and your best friend's dad makes 500K a year and has a bluegrass band, pitch, pitch, pitch. Try to get them in the studio. Try to record with them. You might even go so far as to pitch like a rock and roll fantasy camp type thing of like, hey, I'm going to facilitate taking you guys to Nashville. We're going to book this studio. I'm going to be your engineer. This is where Neil Young recorded X, Y, and Z song. And we're going to track everything there. Then we're going to come back home. And we're going to do overdubs out of my place. And then we'll do mixing here. And this is a good opportunity for you to say, hey, and I can also get these musicians who played on these records on your album. Yeah. And that way, when you drop the price on them, it's no surprise. And they're happy to pay it because you're fulfilling a lifelong dream, basically. Yeah. So that's super interesting. A lot of times you're working with a client with aspirations of fame. You're pitching, I can help you achieve fame. With these high net worth clients, what you're pitching is, this is going to be really fun. That's a fundamental difference. And it's fun to give other people a fun time in the studio. Yep. And you can basically build a dream scenario for them. And also, I would 100% say that anytime the client is having a lot of fun, I'm typically having a lot of fun too. And that makes the, the job a lot more fun than if you're working with you know, a band who is entitled, who's pissed off, who's mad about everything, who expects the world and gives peanuts. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that tends to, to eat away at your soul a lot more than working with someone who may not be serious about their careers, but they're enjoying working with you. Yeah. So a lot of times these high paying customers, these high net worth clients, they have expensive hobbies. Yeah. Golf, selling, 
Yachting. Yachting. So I don't golf. I despise golf. But Brian, you're a golfer. How much does it cost to play a decent round of golf? $70, $75 at a pretty good course here in Nashville for 18 holes. So that's typically like what? Four guys go out and play golf? Yep. So imagine in your mind, you got four dudes that are going out to play golf. They've each dropped 75 bucks. And how long is that golf going to last? Four hours. Gotcha. So this gets interesting. Do you think you could convince, let's say those four guys are in a band. They're all willing to drop $75. That's basically $75 an hour for four hours. Exactly. Are you willing to work? Not you, but you know, you listener, are you willing to work for $75 an hour to record a band? I would say probably <laughs> for most people. Probably many of you. Yes. You know, $75 an hour is nothing to shake a stick at. Like that is a lot of money. And here's the thing. There's a lot of these guys. The guy I bought my car from, I drive a Subaru Outback. I freaking love it. He's a musician and he picked my brain constantly when we were getting to know each other about the different studios in town that he could go to with his buddies. And rather than going to play a round of golf or rather than going out to the bar that night, that they'd show up to the studio with a six pack and play some songs and get them recorded. There is an awesome opportunity that's the same as a golf course or a bar or a bowling alley, or any number of entertainment options. If we talk about actual, like real high net worth individuals, a gas tank in a yacht. Do you know how much it costs to fill up a gas tank in a yacht? Oh, I don't even want to know. A couple hundred bucks. Just so you know, to fill up a yacht full of gas, it costs up to, in certain yachts, a half a million dollars. No. Yes. In gas? Yep. Docking fees alone are three to $400 a day. And- insurance can be up to a million dollar a year for a yacht. So when you start throwing these numbers out versus what it costs to fulfill, you know, a dream they may have had as a kid or a, a young man, the studio world numbers are tiny in comparison to someone that owns a yacht. So go down to your local yacht club and look for musicians and potentially uh, niche number six, start a yacht studio. It's a studio on a yacht. <laughs> so yeah, there are all these people that are bored and that do things for fun and here's the thing, recording in a studio is fun. If you have a specific business where you're like, hey, I'm the guy who records the high net worth rich folks and helps them you know, complete the record of their dreams, there's money there. There's a lot of money there and it's not unfulfilling. I've worked with a huge number of these guys and the thank you messages that I get from them are always the best that I get because they've become a bigger version of themselves. They've fulfilled a lifelong dream so yeah, I mean, definitely consider this. There's another benefit to this that we haven't really discussed, and that is the potential for mentorship. When you start building relationships with some of these people, they're successful in their own right, a lot of them. Yeah. And so they have a lot of wisdom to share. And so you just started this out, this relationship out by helping them fulfill their dream. A lot of times you keep this relationship alive, they're going to teach you a lot of things that you may not have learned from anyone else, which I think is a, an interesting benefit, depending on the person, obviously. Super interesting benefit. That's honestly maybe the best reason to do this, is if you find someone that's like, you know, started and then sold a $500 million business, they're going to teach you some things that you weren't taught in school. And that's cool. So let's talk about the marketing aspect of this. I think this is one area that the marketing conversation changes drastically because you're not necessarily going to market to people on Google. They're not Googling these types of things, <laughs> not this specific audience, at least. How do you reach this type of audience? Well, you know, like we mentioned before, I think it's primarily a network thing. You know, there are things you can do as far as digital marketing to specifically focus on these types of people. But, you know, honestly, you got to keep in mind, these older, wealthier folks are more suspicious of the internet than younger folks. And, you know, you, you need to be able to assure them that you are trustworthy. And 
that you're going to do right by them. So, you know, I think the place that you start with is pitching to someone that you know, a friend of a friend or a friend. And then once you're inside of a, a network like that, once you have one good client, they are the key to connecting you to other people. Because like I said, birds of a feather flock together. So if you have one high net worth client, chances are they have a lot of friends who may could be potential clients to you. As long as you play your cards right, you don't alienate anyone, you don't bug anyone, and you treat your clients equally well, no matter who they are. Totally. All right, so let's wrap this episode up. Just to recap here, the five recording studio niches that are ripe for the taking. The first we talked about, and the one I think we talked most in detail about, at least it felt like, was the vocal only studio. That's basically just getting a studio and say, I only do vocals. I have an amazing setup for that. I do amazing quality. That's all I do. Take it or leave it. The second type of studio niche that we talked about were was hourly rap studios. Very similar to the vocal studio, but just a few slight changes there. The third type of niche right for the taking was full service podcast studio. So that's anything from recording, tracking, editing, posting to the podcast hosts. The fourth type of studio niche right for the taking is an editing studio. So drums or vocals or pitch correction or, you know, insert editing thing here, just doing that service and doing it damn well. That's the fourth niche right for the taking. And then the fifth and final niche that we think is right for the taking is high net worth clients. If you can get plugged into that kind of crew, there's a lot of good that could come from it. So anything you want to add to these, uh, these five here, Chris? So yeah, if you are thinking about how to make a living in audio, and especially if you are a all singing, all dancing audio engineer, and you haven't considered niching down, these are five ideas that are super interesting. My favorite personally is the vocal studio. It blows my mind that there aren't vocal studios in cities all over the world because there's so much opportunity there. My favorite is actually the podcast, the full service podcasting studio, because I know what goes into this. It's pretty easy to do from the perspective of the average audio engineer, very difficult to do for the perspective of the average podcaster, people that don't understand how to get good quality audio, how to treat a room, how to process a vocal, how to edit a vocal, how to get it online. You know, that's a process that pretty much anyone listening here can learn. Uh, but very few podcasters could do. And I think the overhead to earnings ratio, if you want to go with that, or the square footage to earnings ratio, to me, that has the best appeal, not to mention the potential of recurring income with that model. So that's my pick of this five. If I had to quit my mastering business and, you know, let's say uh, the government forbid me from ever mastering again, and I had to pick one of these, I probably, you're right. The podcasting one is the best. Also, when you start talking about a real business, that you could have employees and build systems around, the podcast studio is it. The vocal studio requires too much specialization. Anyways, if you have your own ideas for what you think we missed on this list of five, uh, feel free to go to the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash community or just search for the Six Figure Home Studio community on Facebook. Join the group, add to the conversation. I'd love to see uh, what kind of stuff you come up there. And then if you actually launch a business based off this podcast, you do a podcast studio, you do a vocal only studio, you do an editing studio. We would love to hear from you. Uh, you can always just reach out to us, podcast at the sixfigurehomestudio.com. Or again, you can just post in our group. There's always conversations going, a lot of cool stuff happening, a lot of fun people in there. Until next week, happy hustling and goodbye. Whoa.